I'm Bonnie Harrison and welcome to The Detail's Long Read. This week we're talking solar power. Written by North and South magazine's George Driver, it's Solar Eclipse, our renewable power struggle. Millions of panels could soon be erected across thousands of hectares of the country as an unprecedented solar farm boom begins. It's part of efforts to more than double the country's power generation by 2050. What do we stand to gain and what might we lose? You can read the full story in the August edition of North and South or at northandsouth.co.nz. This is an abridged version of Solar Eclipse, our renewable power struggle. It's a place known for its ice, if it's known at all. Naseby, population 123, advertises itself as 2,000 feet above worry level. But the former gold mining settlement in central Otago is also below freezing level for much of the year. Naseby's main attraction is the Southern Hemisphere's first Olympic standard indoor curling rink. But about five minutes out of town is something even more novel. Radar dishes that track space junk. The facility, built in 2019, can monitor about 250,000 tiny pieces of space debris some as small as two centimetres, to help prevent calamitous collisions with satellites. Naseby's attraction for the space industry is its exceptionally clear atmosphere. Down the road at Lauder, a NIWA facility has been tracing the depletion of the ozone layer and other atmospheric gases since the 1950s, aided by what its scientists call the cleanest air on Earth. Now that clear air is attracting a new industry. In the paddocks surrounding the space radar, about 80,000 photovoltaic panels will soon be installed, each tracking the sun's path across the sky and transforming its rays into enough electricity to power about 9,000 homes. An Australian company, Solar Bay Energy, was granted a non-notified resource consent to build the 50-megawatt solar farm on the 54.5-hectare site in February. If it's built it would be about 25 times the size of the country's current largest solar farm. Neither the landowner nor Solar Bay would comment on exactly what it would build and when. However, the construction of such farms is something we're all likely to become much more familiar with. In the last couple of years, there has been a boom in announcements of large-scale solar farms around New Zealand in what has been called a gold rush moment for the renewable power industry. The Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment estimates a 1,000 megawatts of solar generation capacity has gained resource consent recently, which would amount to about 10% of the country's power generation capacity. But power grid operator Transpower says there are almost 15 gigawatts, or 15,000 megawatts, of solar projects in the pipeline. That's more than all of the country's current power generation combined. The solar farm consented in Naseby is a relative minnow. The largest consented so far, near Taupo, is 400 megawatts, with 900,000 solar panels on a 1,022-hectare dairy farm. It's just one facet of a renewable power generation boom that will transform the country over the next three decades. 
as we shift from powering the country on fossil fuels to renewable energy. Advocates say large-scale generation projects will enable our decarbonisation in the fastest and cheapest way possible. Skeptics say these think-big solutions have an unacceptable environmental cost. What happens next will affect everyone. Impacts will range from changes to the views from some people's windows to the price paid to switch on the lights to whether there'll be enough power to switch them on at all. We don't often think about where our power comes from, but TransPower's website shows exactly where our electricity is coming from at any hour of the day. At 10am on a Tuesday in June, 5,645 megawatts of electricity was coursing through the network to just about every household in the country. 90% of it was coming from renewable sources. The hydro lakes were full and providing 78%. The North Island geothermal plants provided 16%. But the wind must have dropped. Wind farms were providing only about 3%. Gas power stations, mostly in Taranaki, generated another 8%, while the coal in the furnaces at Huntley Power Station topped up the network with 79 megawatts, or 1.4% of the total. It's a delicate balance. This mix changes throughout the day and throughout the year, based on the rise and fall of the lakes, the wind, and demand. New Zealand is in a fortunate position. In an average year, around 84% of our electricity is from renewable sources, one of the highest proportions in the world. Our network has been ranked ninth best in the world based on the equity, security and sustainability of the system. But the system is about to drastically change. Our emissions reduction targets rely on moving transport and industry from fossil fuels to electricity by 2050. All of that power will need to be renewable if the country is to meet its net zero target. It requires the electricity network to expand on an unprecedented scale. In 2020, TransPower estimated the country would need to more than double our power generating capacity by 2050, increasing from 9.2 gigawatts to 21.8. Demand for power, meanwhile, is expected to rise by 68%. More than half, or 56% of this, will come from electrifying our transport fleet, and almost a quarter will come from electrifying process heat, things like the boilers used to dry milk powder that now mostly rely on coal. Breaking that down, it amounts to 466 megawatts of new electricity generation built every year for 27 years. To put that into perspective, The Clyde Dam, the country's largest concrete gravity dam, has a maximum capacity of 432 megawatts. Our largest wind farm, Turitea, which opened in the Tararua Ranges near Palmerston North in May, has a maximum output of 222 megawatts. The country's largest solar farm is just 2.1 megawatts. So, we need roughly a Clyde Dam's worth of new electricity generation built every year, or two of the country's largest wind farms, or 230 of the country's largest solar farms, every year for 27 years. Last year, modelling from the Electricity Authority found we might need even more. 
They said, projected pace of development is much faster than experienced in living memory. The challenge becomes greater when you consider that all of this new generation will come from intermittent renewable sources, mostly wind and solar. And it's come at a time when we've built very few new power stations, because demand for electricity has been flat for more than a decade due to increased energy efficiency and the scaling down of some industry. But we're beginning to get an idea of what meeting this immense challenge may look like. And it's not quite like anyone imagined. It all seemed to happen at once. In March 2021, TransPower released its six-monthly report on the country's progress to doubling power generation by 2050. It said there was an impressive 1,247 megawatts of new power projects being developed, almost entirely wind farms. Not a single solar project made the list. Within a year, that had transformed. In June 2021, Todd Corporation's Sunagize switched on the country's largest grid-scale solar farm to date. It had a capacity of 2.1 megawatts, boasting enough renewable electricity to power over 520 New Zealand homes. The same month, then-Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern turned the first sod on what was to be the country's new largest solar farm, a 16-megawatt, 32,000-panel array on the Opori Peninsula, built by a company called Far North Solar Farms. Then, the pace of new developments skyrocketed. By May last year, Forsyth Bar reported there had been a tectonic shift in view. It found there were 8.75 terawatt hours of solar projects being investigated, the equivalent of around 20% of New Zealand's electricity consumption. While solar had long been spurned in favour of alternatives such as geothermal and wind, Forsyth Bar said there had been a flurry of announcements of intentions to build grid-scale solar. Within two years, there were more solar projects in the works than all of our existing hydro, geothermal, wind, coal and gas power stations combined. The rise of solar farms was largely unexpected. TransPower's forecasts in 2020 predicted there wouldn't be any solar farms here before 2030, and only one gigawatt of grid-scale solar by 2050. The Climate Change Commission estimated there would be 950 megawatts of solar farms by 2035 if its recommendations were adopted. Now, TransPower expects almost seven times that amount will be built in the next seven years, based on the scale of projects announced in the last couple of years alone. What's going on? Andrew Harvey Green, who has been an energy analyst at Forsyth Bar for 15 years, says the solar boom has primarily been driven by economics. The cost of solar panels has fallen dramatically over the last decade, faster than many predicted, while power prices have increased in the last couple of years, primarily driven by gas shortages. Even in the late 2010s, solar was well out of the money in terms of new generation, Harvey Green says. Wind and geothermal were much more attractive, but those costs kept on falling. The cost of solar is still generally higher than building a wind farm, he says. 
But solar farms can be built on a smaller scale and at a much faster rate, lowering the barrier to entry for new generation. With power demand set to climb rapidly, getting in early is also profitable. Part of the reason solar farms are quicker to build is that they are viewed as being easier to consent. While wind turbines tend to be built on hilltops and can be over 100 metres tall, solar farms tend to be built on flatland. The panels are only a couple of metres high, so can be hidden by planting trees. This can limit how many affected parties can have a say on the project. For example, the Naseby solar farm gained a non-notified consent, as the effects were judged to be less than minor. Brendan Winitana is chair of the Sustainable Energy Association of New Zealand, a group representing the renewable energy industry, with a membership now dominated by companies involved in solar power. He says solar farms require less due diligence than wind projects. Building a wind farm sometimes requires two years of research into the vagaries of wind at a site before it is possible to secure finance, he says. Within that time, a solar farm can be consented and built. But one of the most important factors, he says, has been the availability of finance. Globally, a lot of investors have divested in fossil fuels and are moving funds towards renewable energy. That's now flowing to New Zealand. Nothing happens until you've got a funding line, Winitana says. Winitana says there has been pushback against solar in New Zealand in the past because of a belief the country isn't sunny enough. But research from Niwa has found New Zealand is sunnier than many places where solar has been popular, such as France, Germany and the UK. solar boom may be good news for the country's pursuit of decarbonisation, there are downsides. The footprint of a solar farm is much denser than the likes of a wind farm. While a 400 megawatt wind farm may require about 100 wind turbines over 2,000 hectares or so, a solar farm with the equivalent capacity will require covering about 60 hectares entirely in solar panels. Solar farms also generate less power per megawatt of capacity than wind because the panels only generate at their peak around 20% of the time. A wind farm, on the other hand, produces at peak around 35 to 40% of the time. This means you need to install more generation to produce the equivalent amount of power. It's the footprint that is drawing opposition. Some people are concerned about the loss of productive land, while others just don't want to look at fields full of solar panels. In Helensville, northwest of Auckland, a group of residents have opposed a 53-megawatt, 82,000-panel solar farm that would be about 500 metres from the outskirts of town. We won't be Helensville or Te Awaroa anymore if this goes ahead, one resident told the New Zealand Herald. We'll be Solar City, they said. Winitana says concerns about the impact of solar on views and productive land are overblown. Because solar panels only stand two or three metres off the ground and occupy flat sites, they can be largely hidden from view, he says. Modern solar panels can also let light through, so the land can still be farmed with sheep, he says. Longer term, 
large batteries may provide a solution to ironing out the peaks and troughs of solar. Winitana says grid-scale batteries are already economical, though other experts say they remain too expensive to use at scale. Meridian Energy plans to build the country's first large-scale grid battery later this year. It will be able to produce 100 megawatts of peak power for two hours at a time and will be linked to a 130-megawatt solar farm near Marsden Point in Northland. When Ralph Sims looks out the window of his Palmerston North home, he can see the country's newest wind farm, Tūritea, being built. To him, the gleaming white turbines on the Taradua range are a thing of beauty. Sims, an emeritus professor of sustainable energy and climate mitigation at Massey University, has been a lead author for the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. He says while it is technically possible for the country to double its power generation capacity because the wind and solar resources are there, the challenge is where they can be sited at the scale required. Most people aren't as fond of looking at turbines out their window. Everybody wants electricity, but nobody wants power stations, Sims says. That's the conundrum we've got. Some environmental groups have called for more regulation on how and where we grow our electricity network. On the other hand, those wanting to build new renewable generation are calling for existing restrictions to be relaxed to ensure new plants are built at the pace required. Environmental Defence Society Chief Executive Gary Taylor has been fighting against the negative impacts of power generation projects for about 50 years. He was involved in an EDS court case to halt the Clyde Dam in the 1970s. He says the country seems to be slipping back into the Think Big era by weakening environmental protections to enable industrial-scale projects. It's a one-track mind, rip, shit or bust. There's nothing nuanced or sophisticated about the thinking, Taylor says. He says, in his experience, when decision-makers have been allowed to balance national benefits against environmental costs, every time the environment loses. While Taylor believes the country needs to rapidly scale up renewable generation to decarbonise, he says this needs to be done in a way that protects areas of high natural value. We can't lose our heads in the rush to renewables, says Taylor. We've got to be working towards good environmental and climate change outcomes and not sacrifice one on the pillar of the other. When Sir Graham Sidney looks out the front window of his studio near St Bathans, he can see the snow-flecked face of the Hawkdun Range, the mountains which have served as the backdrop to some of his most renowned landscape paintings. When he looks out the back window of his studio, however, he sees solar panels. Ironically, it was his efforts to stop large generation projects that ultimately led him to generate his own electricity from an 18-panel solar array in his backyard. I think it's a necessary gesture towards sustainability, he says. You can't be a critic of the system without putting your money where your mouth is. He's concerned about what more the country might lose as the renewable energy gold rush begins. He says our landscape attracts millions of people from around the world. Sydney says, We have to make sure that we recognise the value of our natural environment in its most pristine state possible, because that's what people want to see and enjoy and be amongst. 
And all of these power schemes we're talking about, to me, are detrimental to that landscape's appeal. Greenpeace is advocating for household solar projects to be given priority over large-scale commercial projects. Just because energy production is renewable, it's not necessarily sustainable, Greenpeace lead climate campaigner Christine Rose says. The adverse environmental and social impacts of the centralised think-big generation model can be addressed by rooftop solar and battery storage. New Zealand has a relatively small amount of rooftop solar. By the end of last year, only 2.3% of households had solar panels, totalling 193 megawatts. But this is growing fast, with 48 megawatts of residential solar installed last year, and it's been growing at an average rate of 40%. When including commercial and industrial solar connections, the total capacity rises to 259 megawatts. By contrast, in Australia, almost a third of households have rooftop solar, generating 9% of the country's electricity. In 2019, a TransPower report found that if 58% of households and 25% of businesses in New Zealand had rooftop solar, it could provide more than half of the power generation required. If 69% of households and 40% of businesses install solar, it found it would generate two-thirds of our current power consumption. Those building solar farms, however, say building at scale is faster, cheaper and more efficient than a network of home-scale generation projects. There are alternatives. As of March, TransPower has received around 4 to 5 gigawatts of interest for offshore wind farms. A partnership between Spanish company Blue Float Energy and New Plymouth-based energy company Elemental Group is planning to build about half of that. It has announced plans for a 900-megawatt farm off the south coast of Taranaki, and another one-gigawatt wind farm off the coast of Port Waikato. The consortium's partnerships director, Justine Gilliland, says offshore wind farms are built 22 kilometres out to sea and are almost invisible from land, appearing as dots on the horizon. They can also use much larger turbines than on land, around 15 megawatts rather than around 4 megawatts. The wind at sea is also stronger and more consistent, meaning offshore wind farms generate power around 60% of the time, compared with around 35% on land. The downside of offshore wind farms is they are expensive, producing power at about twice the cost of onshore wind. They also take a long time to consent and build. Blue Float's projects are expected to take almost a decade before they will generate their first electrons. And while New Zealand has a lot of coastline, there aren't many sites that have the relatively shallow seas required for fixed turbines, with the best sites near Taranaki. Ralph Sims says while the landscape will change with the challenge ahead, so might our attitudes. People don't like change, he says. But you won't find many people in Palmerston North now who object to the wind farms in the Tararuas, which are very visible from here. We've even named our Manawatu rugby team the Turbos. It's a fear of the unknown, mostly, I think. That was Solar Eclipse, Our Renewable Power Struggle, written by George Driver and published in North and South Magazine's August issue. 
The Detail's long read is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. We'll be back next week with another long read. Ka kite anō.